This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of I Want to Matter. Your life is too short and too precious to waste. Written and narrated by New York Times bestseller Kathy Lee Gifford. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. This is Matt Woodley with a special edition of Monday Morning Preacher, in which I'm going to be talking with two guests this morning. Reverend Lawrence Ager III is the lead pastor of Cornerstone Baptist Church in Brooklyn, New York. And Reverend George Hurt is the pastor of Mount Sinai Baptist Church in Los Angeles. In this episode, we're going to be talking about a dialogue on racism and justice. Lawrence and George, it's great to have you with us on this episode. Good to be with you, Matt. Thank you. In case you're tuning in and you're not quite sure when this was recorded, this was recorded just a few weeks after the killing of George Floyd on 38th in Chicago and South Minneapolis, and just a few blocks from where I used to live in South Minneapolis. And, uh, so we are dealing in the wake of that and uh, just talking to a couple preachers about what do we say about this from the pulpit? Uh, what do we say about racism? What do we say about racial injustice? Uh, what do we say about racial disparity? What does the Bible have to say about it? Why should we preach about it? How to do it? So we're going to explore some of those questions. And I just want to start with you two guys just personally. In your churches, what are some of the things you're hearing and feeling from your people? What are people struggling with? What are the emotions they're dealing with? Uh, George, let's start in LA. Let's start with you. And what's, what's going on in your people? Yeah, so the context is, as many of you know, COVID-19 hits. We all become virtual churches at this point. We begin to try to process through that. And then civil unrest takes place. The long-standing pain of racial tension in America has been exposed to us in modern history in a way that has not been exposed to us in these last few years. Such Historically, um, there's been even worse visuals than this. And so people become angry. People have become frustrated and they want to play a space, a safe space um, to voice those frustrations. We've already were doing a women's gathering on women uh, on Wednesday via Zoom, men's gathering on Thursday uh, via Zoom, sermon based small groups based off the previous message on Monday. And, and those conversations, this will spill out. Um, people will express to them. And we just wanted to show people how to do that in love how to expose what systemic racism is, how to tackle that in a way um, that is transparent, but at the same time displaying the love of Christ, uh, knowledging the words of James to be, to be uh, slow to speak, slow to anger, quick to hear. And, and so that, that's, that's been the climate of our church um, as it relates to what's been going on as of late, as it relates to uh, the civil unrest in light of modern day lynching, I like to say, of George mm-hmm. Floyd. Uh, people are frustrated. People are upset. Uh, people are now voicing those uh, frustrations in a way they had not been able to do before. Um, these are not new conversations for African-American people. Uh, we've been having these conversations for years, on top of years. But now it's been a sense of comfort to have those in a more public setting because uh, seemingly there is... Um, um, more more people from media to individuals that are willing to listen. Yeah, thanks, thanks, George and Lawrence. How about you out in Brooklyn, Brooklyn, New York, at Cornerstone Baptist? What are your people feeling, and what's what are the struggles going on? What are you hearing from your congregation? 
we're dealing with this same issue once again. And especially for us here in, in New York and in, in the greater area, six years ago in uh, Staten Island, we had Eric Garner. And Eric Gardner said, you know, 11 times I can't breathe. Mm. And that was really the first time that it was videotaped that uh, this chokehold had caused someone a premature death. It's not anything new. This this chokehold and these uh, types of policies and tactics have been around for a long time. And so African-American men have been dying at a disproportionate number with uh, compared to other races and, and genders for numerous years. This isn't anything new. So I guess I say it's just deja vu all over again. Mm. But the response this time has been, I think the, the fury is greater this time because with it being a pandemic, all of the items that would normally take the attention away from people have been dissipated. And so all you have is a 24-hour news cycle. Mm. And so people are galvanized now. I saw a sign this week that had uh, Amish people saying Black Lives Matters. Huh. And, you know, the Amish people, they don't watch television. They don't have internet. They don't have cell phones. And they're holding signs saying Black Lives Matter mm. matters. And so this is a new effort. And so I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic or with tempered expectations about what the outcome will be. But I think this is just part of the process. This is part of the battle. This is, we're living in a fallen world since Adam and Eve, but that, that doesn't excuse any of the inhumane treatment and actions that, that we have seen. And I would compare it to historically, when you look at where we are as a people, starting from being enslaved in, in Africa, coming here in 1619, the, our greatest legislation was, you know, probably the, the Civil War emancipation. Before that, we had other slave agitators with Gabriel Prosser and, and Denmark Vesey and Nat Turner, and, and we were able to make progress. And then, uh, you know, the Reconstruction period, maybe that got us to the 30 or 40-yard line. Great Migration Civil Rights Movement, maybe that crossed us past midfield and getting an African-American president and Barack Obama that moved us down. And so maybe this will get us in the red zone in race relations. Mm. Thanks. So are you guys hopeful because more whites seem more engaged on racial justice <laughs> issues? Does that make you feel more hopeful or are you worried it's just a flash in the pan? George, let's, uh, let's start with you. What are your feelings on that? <laughs> I'm not hopeful at all. I yeah. Was, um, with COVID-19, with people being home and sheltered, uh, not being distracted by sports, concerts, family travel, other things that have been taken off our plate, the vividness of the scene, the exposure from mainstream media uh, have galvanized people. I think once the election cycle comes, uh, once people are dunking basketballs again, running into end zones, screaming touchdowns, downloading tickets to go to a concert, uh, sitting in dark theaters, watching people read lines of performance. These, these feelings and these navigations and motivations that are taking place right now will go away 
And uh, those of us that have been on the front line, uh, those of us that have been advocating, uh, will find ourselves with a few more soldiers. For the most part, uh, once again, uh, we'll be accused of race baiting. Uh, we'll be accused of over-exaggerating. Uh, we'll be said that if you tie up your uh, bootstraps and lace them up, uh, you can get the same opportunities as everybody else. And uh, this was an over-exaggeration, over-emotionalization. I think that that will be the analyzation of afterwards and saying this period, much as what a lot of people said about COVID-19, that, um, you know, this was over-exaggerated. This was, this was overreaction. Uh, mm-hmm. towards something that was, yeah, it was it was a problem, but it wasn't that big of a problem. I think that, and I, I hope to be wrong. Mm-hmm. I pray to be wrong. I'll be glad to be wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, history, I believe, is on my side. Mm-hmm. Um, we trace it back to the cries of the slaves in the Middle Passage. If you mm-hmm. trace it back to uh, the cries of society doing the Reconstruction and that fading away through the banner of KKK to civil rights movements to the great migration that uh, Dr. Akers uh, mentioned and why there was a great migration, largely because of lynching, um, much of what I called modern day lynching earlier, uh, that was taking place back then. And that you would see pictures of men being uh, castrated and, and left hanging on a tree. Will be, these things will be out there. I will, I will motivate people to go to Montgomery, Alabama, uh, to EGI's Equal Justice Institution's Lynching Museum. Uh, down there to co- sort of educate on the history of that. I don't see from an intelligence standpoint, from a logical standpoint, from a sociological standpoint, why it would be safe for me to assume uh, just because of this season it's going to get better. Again, yeah. I would glad, I would, I would love to be wrong. I would love for people to prove me wrong. As a matter of fact, I'll be there helping you prove me wrong um, <laughs> okay. through the uh, process. Um, but if I would be honest, Matt, again, as I, I respect your time and uh, this platform, I would have to be honest and say, hey, we've been here before. Uh, we've, we, we've made these cries before. We walked around with hoodies on in church before trying to explain these pains. And so it's great that everybody's listening. It's great that we go on Amazon. Uh, they have all these things about black life and things of that nature everybody's apologizing and going to win is on pause. All these things are, are, are slightly soothing until we get into policy, until we have a real conversation about reparation, um, until we have power structures that are being torn down and opportunities mm-hmm. are being shared. Um, the podcasts are great. Conversations are amazing. But until that corner is turned, my hope level is going to stay right where it's at. It's, it's like being in a relationship with somebody who's been neglecting you. And all of a sudden, they get you flowers and take you on a long trip. <laughs> I <laughs> hope you'll realize yeah. that you'll need right. a long sample size to <laughs> start expecting flowers and long trips all the time. Yeah, yeah right. George, thanks for speaking from your heart. I appreciate your honesty. Lawrence, what, what do you think? Yeah, I, I think for me that – once again, more in the line of, of tempered expectations. I think that this will uh, swing the pendulum prayerfully further along, but still the generation that is held onto this power, they still have influence and people that are under their influence will try to hold on because Frederick Douglass said that, that power can seize nothing with a struggle. Never, they never have and they never will. 
And so this is just part of the struggle that we will continue to go through. I think we will have some advances, but still there's, after a while, I think things will snap back or spring back and we'll have to battle again. It's kind of like that, uh, that old fail again, try again, fail better, you know, hmm. try again, fail again, fail better. And, and we'll continue to, to push in the struggle because this is a marathon. This isn't a sprint. This mm. isn't a dash. This uh, quest for equality, because you're talking about 1%, 1% of uh, a category of people owning so much of the wealth, uh, being, as, as some say, grotesquely wealth, wealthy. Mm. And, and then when you look at all of the stimulants and uh, the uh, stimulus packages and advances, a lot of that went to 83% of the wealthiest people already pandemic has exposed a, a great deal of uh, inordinate uh, realities for us. But uh, prayerfully, uh, connections like this and other partnerships, we can uh, do better and, and grow stronger. Yeah, thanks. So, um, George, I asked you a question earlier before we got on the podcast. I asked you a question about uh, a lot of preach. I asked, reached out to a lot of preacher friends I know and said, what do you want me to ask these guys? And a lot of them was, <laughs> I want to preach on racism. What are the Bible texts on racism? And you said, I don't like that question. I don't think that's a good question. And, and um, so uh, explain to us why. And then he, you use the book of James as a, a, a case in point. So which you're preach, you've been preaching through. So yeah, yeah, yeah we'll explain, talk- explain that to us. I, I appreciate the genuineness of the question. Yeah. But I think it exposes where seminaries have failed mm. uh, their students. And that is explaining to them that the Bible is really one love story, story of justice, that everything in the scripture points back to the notion of God's divine justice through salvation and how that ought to be duplicated in our social experiment as we interact with one another. And so when you ask me what verse does preach the Bible on justice, I would say just uh, do like we used to do back in the days, take the Bible, open it up, point your finger, and fall on it. Yeah. I guarantee you, on some level, if you do your exegesis and study in depth enough, you'll see how justice streams out uh, from some component of that scripture. Psalm 23 and 1, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want, presupposes that without the Lord, his life would be full of wounds. And mm. so the, the system has failed him. The, uh, the world economics has failed him. It's only through God that he's able to get the fulfillment of his totality of everything that he wants. Uh, you, you, you point to uh, any aspect of the life of Jesus. I mean, Jesus is not hanging around in the temple, uh, uh, parsing Greek birds in the library. He's out with the people, hurting people so much that a centurion soldier, a centurion soldier, this is, this is a Roman soldier, is going to an upstart rabbi from a small town called mm-hmm. Nazareth and saying, can you help me with my daughter? Probably mm-hmm. the most intimate and compassionate and loving relationship one can have is that of a father and a daughter. And he's trusting that to this Jesus because he feels that he is someone that's able to speak to his social needs. And so when you when when I when someone asks that question, it makes me think that they have missed a large component of what the Bible is all about. And I'm sure that's not what they admit in that question. Um, but it does put me on, on guard towards that. And I believe 
the answer would be to read the Bible through the lenses of justice and looking at the cross as a cry of satisfying justice through the atoning death of Jesus Christ. Lawrence, how would you answer that question? Yeah, I, I think in a similar vein that preaching on, on racism, preaching on favoritism, but then also I would say just the, the wisdom of Proverbs, which gives us insight on how we should treat each other. The minor prophets, which talk about justice and, mm. and injustice and how that was uh, seen in the Old Testament. The parables of Jesus give us instruction on how to treat each other, how to love each other, and especially the Good Samaritan. Because for so many years, you have uh, our white brothers and sisters have passed us by on the other side of the road. And uh, although they've seen our need, although we have fallen into some things that the, the, it's in that parable of the Good Samaritan, it says that, that a man fell among these and, and that the expression uh, fall means that he was taken by surprise. And we've been taken by racism. We've been taken by inequalities. We've been taken by wage differentiations. We've been taken by, you know, last hired, first fired. And, and these are things that, that we have uh, come into. And so many times our religious and, and spiritual uh, brothers and sisters have just walked by on the other side. And so now you have good Samaritans in terms of organizations who are willing to come and partner with us, but it's time for the religious leaders to stand up with us and to stand up in unity. And so it's good we're seeing some dialogue between uh, prominent uh, white ministries now willing to uh, look at the plight of racism. And, and so I think time will tell. Yeah, I think um, just one thing to encourage preachers to think about is don't go out just trying to find the text. Like, yeah. oh, here's a text that deals with racism. Um, <laughs> preach, preach the word of God and then... Yeah allow it to have implications and applications Application, for, yeah. for today. Like for instance, um, you know, um, so one of the, the texts, so we have Trinity Sunday in our tradition. We had Trinity Sunday mm -hmm. last Sunday and the lectionary readings, which the church assigned over a thousand years ago were Genesis one. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I actually preached out of Matthew three, which is the baptism of Jesus. Genesis mm -hmm. one um, we're created in God's image. Mm -hmm. wow. Boom. That's, there you go. I mean, yeah. you got, you got implications right there. Um, right, right, right. The, Jesus descending into the baptism, the waters of the Jordan of our sin, dying, coming and um, identifying with sinners. Well, I, right. I, I mentioned one of the sins we're really awakening to in this country is the sin of racism. Um, right. and, uh, and, and you know, Matt, not to cut you off, but just, just that, that preamble that you talked about, uh, that we were all created in the image of God. And that was, that yeah. was one of the, the, the main uh, talking points of slavery that, that slaves, that black people weren't even human. Yeah. And, uh, you know, some denominations didn't, didn't decide until the 1970s. The Mormons didn't decide until the 1970s that, that black people even had souls to enter into heaven. So, you know, a lot of those passages, when you talk about racism, some have already been distorted. So they need to be, uh, exegeted properly and so they yes. can be proclaimed properly for people to receive that application. Yeah. Amen. You know, I was, I also mentioned, you know, racism is, it just gets deeply in the human heart. Um, mm -hmm. in 1994, the, uh, 
the Hutus, I think it was the mm-hmm. Hutus, called the Tutsis mm-hmm. cockroaches, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And they dehumanized them. 900,000 mm-hmm. of those people were, were murdered, you know, mm-hmm. in a frenzy mm-hmm. of killing. It's, mm-hmm. it's deep in the human heart. Um, so the Bible mm-hmm. deals with it probably more than we think. Um, so yeah. anyway, I appreciate, I appreciate both your guys' perspective on that. And I was just watching a, uh, a video from Tim Keller, who, uh, by the way, our, our brother, spiritual father, has uh, pancreatic cancer. I don't know if you guys heard that. So we got to keep him in our prayer. And uh, he was talking about how white Western people have a hard time conceiving of corporate sin. You know, but it's all over the place in the Bible, he was saying. It's, which is another word, way of talking about systemics. And, you know, it gets into systems that we create. It gets into our right. group life. But it, it's all there. It's, it's, it's both there. I don't see it as an either or. George, what do, you think, what do you think pastors are called to do during this time in terms of preaching with the, the, the sort of the temperature rising and the... the um, things seemed to get more intense in terms along these lines. What would you like to see? Well, let's talk about your context, I guess. Let's start in your context. What are you preaching to your people these days? Yeah, so with COVID-19 hitting, uh, we, I decided it was good for us to go through the book of James to um, get us a perspective of how we are still responsible to be the church, even though we can't have church in our traditional way. And then um, wrestling through theology and um, what God is up to, what this pandemic is saying on our Tuesday night, which is our midweek service. I started a study of the book of Revelation that we could be able to know the times um, and know what is taking place and what is not taking place as it relates to the end times um, Mm. season. So I think those things were a combined reality. And then once the civil arrests happened, I've been doing more keeping that flow, keeping that focus, but doing special announcements, uh, sort of PSAs, if you will, about what's going on that week and how just let them know as a pastor that I'm in tune um, to their perils, their cries socially, um, but keeping that spiritual base in, in, in that reality. And, and so one of the things, if I can wrap this and tie this with the previous question uh, that Dr. Aker so wonderfully answered, is that I want our people to be aware of uh, systemic racism. I want them to be able to call it out, but I, I also want them to know how that differs uh, from the historical racism in America, uh, that there are well-meaning, loving uh, white Christians and white people in general uh, that have no ill in their heart towards uh, African Americans, minorities, people of color, uh, those that are different. There is a power structure that they benefit from uh, that they may not be in tune to, that they have to be more sensitive to as it relates to minorities, people of color, black people. And so they'll be able to have that dialogue with people and not scare them off uh, by uh, label them as something that they're not and thus shutting down the whole conversation. And so trying to sit, uh, understand uh, what uninformed biases are, how we all have these uninformed biases, and that if we were to close our eyes and say certain things, there are certain pictures that will come in our mind and certain pictures that would not come in our mind and how that impacts. And so those are the things that uh, we're trying to marry together, spiritual emphasis of hope during COVID-19, of of using this opportunity to have those conversations, to have them in a very healthy and intelligent way. Yeah, I can see James 
James chapter 2 could be, well, many, many of the texts actually could have really powerful and meaningful connections to contemporary issues of racism, you know? Yeah, um, James 1, 9 through 11, yeah. um, that paradox as relates to riches, uh, James 12, a persevering in the midst of difficulties, that's 1 and 12. James 2, a partiality, just blatant right there. Yeah. In the face. Uh, James 2, 14 through 26, faith without works is dead, making sure that that's instilled to it. James 3, guarding your tongue. James 3, godly wisdom compared to earthly wisdom. James 5, uh, to the rich, that they need to be on guard because judgment is coming. So, yeah, it, it, it speaks directly to that. I can see how there's implications and applications in the text itself. That's, that's what I like to tell people. You know, it, it, it may not like be talking about the issue the same way that we would frame it up, but there's implications and applications definitely there. Mm. Uh, that's awesome. George Lawrence, what about you? What are you, what are you preaching on in this series? What do you feel like you're, are you hitting on uh, themes of racial injustice or what, what are you, how are you addressing this or how do you plan to address it? Well, once again, similar to George, you know, just in terms of the COVID-19 pandemic and New York, we were hit when we have been hit very hard. Brooklyn has been at the epicenter. And so I spent a lot of time or a lot of the spring preaching session to encourage people. It's just just words of encouragement because we were being hit so hard. So it was just... uh, flatten the curve that was that was something that's flatten the curve on despair that's flatten the curve on uh uh, uh, whatever uh would pull you down and and make you feel that this is the end of the world and so we did a lot of topical uh messages and then with the george floyd once again it was kind of a uh a harken back to the days of of black power and just reminding people that all lives matter of course but we say black lives matter because those are the ones that are being taken right now and so we've been doing a lot of uh marvin gay songs in our in our worship uh in fact the first sunday i preached mercy mercy me with the backdrop of uh of the psalmist saying how can we sing the lord's song in a strange land and uh, one of the reasons why we've had to sing the Lord's song in a strange land or in a, in, a, in a painful time is because we're suffering from truth decay, the lack of truth, which, which paints African-Americans as less than and inferior, just more beyond the three-fifths compromise of three-fifths human from the, the Continental Congress in the 18th century. But just today that uh, people of color don't have the same skill set or even desire to to do well and to improve themselves or that uh, people of color are late they want handouts and things of that nature just always encouraging and and remembering that message because truth decay has ultimately led to truth and consequences and so these are the consequences that we're seeing now with the rioting i don't i don't condone it but i understand it dr king said that that the rioting is a language of the unheard and so you're talking about pent up uh, generations that have been unheard and unrecognized. And so now you have the masses that are rising up. And uh, so it, it's that these are the times that we're living in and people are, are very frustrated 
people are, are very uh, despondent and angry. And these are a lot of the emotions that we're dealing with as pastors to our, to our people. Yeah. Well, that's really good. Let's, let's think about the, okay, here's a white pastor. His church is 99% white, you know, he's maybe in the suburbs and he or she, you know, good person, good heart, really wants to understand these issues, really feels something strongly, wants to speak out and courageously, but is anxious about doing it wrong. You know, oh man, you had a chance and you, you really didn't, you really didn't say it. Um, I, you know, so maybe he's internalized that. So what, what advice would you give to this preacher? What encouragement, what things would you say to avoid? What's, what would be success for this preacher? I think it's very simple. Uh, doing what we're doing right now. Yeah. Having a conversation with those that in listening um, more than uh, listening with empathy. Uh, mm. that there will be things that are said that on the surface you may initially disagree with or uncomfortable with a lot of a lot of uh white pastors may be uncomfortable with the notion of black lives matter they may be confused with the slogan compared to the organization yeah and they may be confused at what the tenet behind yeah. it is uh dr akers just explained beautifully what um that concept is meant when you hear it from the lips of those that are conscious of the awareness and, and aware of the fact that every life, mat, every life matter, just like every house on the street matter. But if there's a house on fire, uh, that house has a unique emphasis for the fire truck to come by and blow it out because it is dealing with um, the plight and pain of fire. And so we're talking about the plight and pain of the middle passage, the plight, the fight and pain of the uh, uh, the reconstruction and lack thereof, deconstruction, civil war, slavery, Jim Crow, civil rights, systemic racism now, and so on and so on and so on. Um, so to have that conversation with a trusted African-American friend. Now, if you don't have one, I would say to you um, to listen to podcasts like this, but to get out your box and try to genuinely create that. Uh, don't, 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 don't do it authentic. It'll take time like all friendships and relationships uh, do, um, but get out your bikes and seek that consciously and intentionally as it relates to how to come to those conclusions. Um, but that's what I would say before you get to talking about something, talk to people, persons that are actually dealing with it. Listen and listen with empathy. Yeah, that's so good, George. I, I got to say to my white pastor friends too, sometimes, sometimes we're so afraid we're going to say the wrong thing to our black friends that we wind up not saying anything. It's kind of like, you know, when a, some, something tragic has happened in a family and you just, you're afraid to say anything. So you just, you just keep your mouth shut and that, that doesn't help. So yeah. our black friends are not fragile that way. They're not so fragile. They want to talk about this. They want to have these honest conversations. And some are, right? and some are, I don't want to act. I don't okay. want to, there's a misconception there. Some are, some are going to react hostile. Uh, what they're not going to do is like kill you. <laughs> they're not going to like, they're not going to some, and you, you know, it, it reminds me of the scene uh, when the, uh, the mother, uh, I think it was mother, uh, let's just say parents to be safe, met George Bush. Their, their son was killed in the war and they, they, she just goes off on them. And mm. then, 
she starts to cry and he begins to hug her. And I think sometimes, to be honest, black people do just need that space to go off on somebody white. I mean, I, I, again, I want to be transparent here. Um, some people just need that opportunity to say, you're not listening. This is it. You sound like this. You sound like that. Or even be called a name. That person, then you got to have the sense to say, you got to take it, retort what they said in a loving way. And then eventually, I think what you said becomes true. That person says, wow, if you let me express myself like that to you, uh, you can't be the person that I thought you were. Yeah, that's awesome. You, you, you know where you find a biblical text on that? The book of James, you know? <laughs> yeah. Be quick to listen, <laughs> slow to speak, quick to listen. Yeah. 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 Slow to anger. Slow to anger. Yeah, yeah slow to anger. Lawrence, what do, you, what do you think? Any comments on that? Well, I, I think uh, in keeping in line with our literated letter of peace, uh, the podcast, and I'd also put in prayer and partnerships. You got to partner with people. Mm. Don't try to do it by yourself. Partner, partner. I mean, fine. If you don't feel comfortable just going to someone individually, get in a partnership or a coalition of pastors. And then uh, also just understand, understanding black culture, black history, black literature, understand black history. That's not just the month of February, but it's, it's a rich cultural experience. And I think if you, you understand our heritage and, and uh, heroes and heroines and, and, and those who have made contributions, but I, I think, but I mean, definitely just starting out with any, any books by Dr. Martin Luther King, that there's a lot of uh, great artists and, and uh, authors now that are writing books on not only reconciliation, but just what, what it means to be a non-racist, how to raise your, your kids being a non-racist, or you know, how to, how to uh, just have a conversation with a person of color. Yeah. And you'd be surprised, but I, I think a lot of it is, is uh, just old stereotypes and just a lack of awareness. Yeah. Conversation, we're all, we're all one nation. Yeah. Matt, if I can ask something real quick, a of great line of Dr. Lawrence Aker uh, birthed this in me um, because of his, his well span of knowledge, is to watch a documentary, mm -hmm. uh, to read books on history. Just go to PBS, watch mm -hmm. the documentary on the rise of African American people, Henry Louis Gates. Uh, watch his uh, documentary, documentary on Reconstruction. And so when you do have that conversation with your African American friend or a budding friendship or trying to gain that friendship. You're coming from a base, a base where empathy on the other person is easier to have right. because wait a minute, they, they at least did their homework. They thought through this. Mm. They didn't just mm, come right. to me and say, right. what happened to you? Or try to limit it to George Floyd or Eric Gardner. Understand that the pain of African-Americans in this social experiment called America has mm -hmm. been great, deep, and very profound. I think and also a Ava DuVernay as uh as uh 13th about the 13th amendment yeah and, uh mm -hmm. when they see us about the central park five uh now known as the exonerated five i went to a really good high school then i got a degree in business administration and then i got a master's of divinity uh i had never heard of i'd heard the phrase the harlem renaissance but i had new i no no idea what it meant mm. i had heard i had heard that frederick Douglass wrote a book but I never read it, you know? Mm -hmm. I knew nothing about him. 
I knew nothing about that, that the guy writes incredibly beautiful prose, you know, just like prose stylist. He, he's an amazing writer. And he was also a passionate follower of Jesus, you know. Um, yeah. And uh, so, I mean, that's just a couple examples. It's like, I just, I didn't know. I never, I never heard that stuff in school. Yeah, you know? what's interesting about the Harlem Renaissance, and Lawrence will be able to speak to this much better than me, being a New Yorker in the East Coast over there, and I'm being the West Coast over here. Uh, maybe one thing they can learn about is the West Coast, East Coast beef. No, 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 don't learn. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's advanced. That's, that's yeah, advanced. yeah, yeah. That's advanced. That's when you get into the five hundreds. That's that's when you're working on your PhD. Yeah. Um, but not just the Harlem Renaissance, but why the Harlem Renaissance doesn't exist today, and mm -hmm. how there's been so many movements like that, be it Black Wall Street or others, um, mm -hmm. that has been stagnant systemically structurally, intentionally by those in power because that has become so elaborate and so expansive in the potential of, of a culture, of people of a culture, if such movements like that were able to evolve and blossom into what um, it potentially could have turned out to be. I think yeah. about that when I think about the lives of young black men that are lost on the street because of uh, gang violence or drugs or whatever case it may be that that person has so much potential. That person could have easily um, been the next X, Y, or Z senator, congressman, yeah, pastor, right. um, yeah. preacher. Um, yeah. And what led to that? I know, I know who killed them. I know that when people say, you don't talk enough about black-on-black -black crime, it's not that we don't, oh, we, we've hugged so many mothers. Uh, we, we've been to so many funerals. We've we, we delivered so many messages about that. We, we understand the pain of that, but we also understand that it's not just who kills them, but what kills them. They have schools that failed them, uh, economic systems that failed them. And so it's not that we don't ignore that. It's not that we are not empathized and, and cry the same way of a George Floyd uh, to the young kid that dies on the street corner, be it gang or drugs or whatever the case may be, is that we... We, we feel that ineptly in such a different way. What we're saying is um, that's an internal matter that needs to be worked on as well as a structural matter. But when with police brutality or with a George Zimmerman or the, uh, uh, the brothers of Ahmad Arbery, uh, Zimmerman, uh, the, what's their name, uh, Lawrence, that the, the McMichaels, uh, yeah. in those cases, it's the criminalization of us the fear of us, the, the thought that hmm. there's something we could do that can endanger you on the ground with handcuffs on and your knee on my neck. But hmm. I'm, I, I still feel like I'm, I'm legitimately are a danger to you. And that's the feeling that me and Lawrence Anchors will feel even if we walk into a Four Seasons in a suit and a tie, in a top hat. If we walk into some restaurant and we could, we could be someone uh, that makes significantly more money than the person that working there at the desk but they'll still have this sense of fear, sense of this, what are you doing here? Those are the underarching things that we try to address um, when we are tackling those things because that'll equip us better to handle the other things that people are so quickly to identify that are pains in our neighborhoods. So if you say, hey, y'all need to eat better, and then we come back and say, well, you need to get us better grocery stores. Um, mm. and you, you need to do better for you want to have hypertension. Well, hypertension is just not about diet. It's just about stress. So stop stressing us out. And we won't have hypertension either. Um, yeah. as, long, as well as it is it, ironic because um, African-Americans are more prone to be vegetarians than any other group. 
Um, and so we have desires to eat healthy. But if you go back to the slave trade and slavery and how we were getting the last of the meals and how we had to make scraps out of certain things, that's the birth of soul food. Um, and so those habits, and that's what we mean by structural and systemic, those habits, those systematic things that have been in place are still affecting us, even though it looks different in 2020. Yeah, see, guys, I, I want us to have these kind of conversations because I, I think they, we need to see how uh, one of the things I was, I was telling a, a church member after my sermon, um, he was uh, slightly critical of it, thought I had gone too far. And I just tried to say, you know, but this is the way our, this is what our, our black brothers and sisters in Christ, I think, are trying to tell us. And, and countrymen, too, as well. Not just, not only just people in the church, but just our countrymen. I think this is kind of the way they look at this issue. Um, and I just, we're not going to ha- get this if we don't have the conversations. And it's hard work. You know, we, you know, George, you talked about uh, Galatians 610, uh, doing good to those, especially in the household of faith. This, this is just hard work. Uh, being quick to listen, slow to speak. It's hard work. Um, let me ask you guys one more question. And that is preaching, preaching the gospel. Uh, what you're both preachers and you're both, you, I know you both love preaching and it's at the heart of your ministry. So how do you see hope through the preaching of the word of God. I mean, people could say, look, I mean, some people, some more secular people might say, forget preaching, forget the church, that we just need social change. You know, we need social change. Uh, What would you say? What's the hope in preaching? What's the hope in preaching the word of God for this issue and just for the church and for the nation? How would you guys describe that? Lawrence, want to go first? Let me go first. I, I think one thing, just in terms of Jesus and his earthly ministry, when he came to the temple, his public ministry, he said that the spirit of the Lord is upon me uh, to preach the good news, he said, to the poor. And uh, even that that's not necessarily an, an economic situation because you have a lot of people who are seven figures, but, but they're still poor in terms of their... Uh, beatitudes to others in terms of their benevolence uh, of others. They can still be poor in spirit, although although they can have a seven-figure income. And and so uh, the the issue that Jesus said that he was that he had come to address poor in spirit and those who are prisoners. A lot of people are are imprisoned with racism, uh, imprisoned with you know systematic privileges and. People are in bondage with that. And, you know, he also talked about the blind. And it's one thing to be physically blind, but to be spiritually blind, where you don't see someone as your brother or sister, but you see a skin color. That, that's a blindness right there. And then uh, those who are, are captive that need to be set free, or uh, another translation says those who are, who are having life literally squeezed out of them. And, and when you look at, uh, the situation today, lives of black people are literally being squeezed out of them. Unless you have uh, privileges and opportunities, you're going to be in this kind of cesspool that's seen by law enforcement that anytime they stop someone of color, you don't know what could happen. You really don't. You really don't. But I, I believe the power of the gospel over everything still. I'm, I'm not going to give up hope or hang my head or, or feel defeated. 
because I, I know there's still power in the blood. And I know that Jesus says in the end, we all win. This is, these are trying times right now, but the game's not over. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Lawrence. Yeah. George. Yeah, Matt, I would just say it's our only hope. Mm. Uh, policies, politicians, um, is they're not adequate. Uh, mm-hmm. Sin is too real. It's too deep. And, we look at these lenses through American context, but if you study the globe internationally, uh, these same plans and treasons and genocides and hate is flowing in every sphere of human existence mm-hmm. and only Christ is the answer. Um, mm-hmm. In John 9, um, Jesus sees a man that was born blind. His disciples want to know a theological question. Who sinned? Uh, what, who was it? Was, was it? was it his parents or was it him? Mm-hmm. And, and Jesus like totally ignores it and, yeah. and just go the, what Jesus does and starts to minister to that person in that state. And I think that's what we have to do with the gospel. Um, we're not going to be able to heal America. We're not going to be able to heal the pain of this country's existence. We're not going to be able to heal the pain of uh, what happens in the continent of Africa. Uh, what happens in, in on the continent of Asia, countries like China, Hong Kong, that debate that's going on there. Yeah. Middle East, all the tensions that takes place there with women's rights. We're not going to be able to do that. What we are going to be able to do is in the context that he presents us is to be able to say to them um, that uh, be able to heal them of whatever it is that they were born with, that plague of sin, the same way that man was born with sin. And Jesus answers that question beautiful. It's not that he sinned or that his mother sinned, but it's that the works of God may be glorified through him. Now, we ultimately know that uh, sin is the root cause of everything. That's not what Jesus is saying there. Jesus is saying, no, all of this is part of my divine plan. And we have to look through these things, these issues, even from a George Floyd, COVID-19, uh, to whatever the next news cycle of pain and hurt that comes on through the lens of a good God, a holy God, is able to get glory and have all things work together, knee on the neck, all things work together. Um, Two million people diagnosed with a virus in in three months, all things work together. A country steeped in treason, hate, hate, genocide, hatred towards various groups of people, even sometimes towards own self, and say that Jesus yet is the answer and that can provide hope for it. I started a radio show uh, last night, talk radio show last night locally here, and uh, concluded with a final thought um, that we choose to edit. And that was the message we were trying to uh, relay there. Mm-hmm. Time for the church to do a self-evaluation. Now we know what the world is doing. Let us finally get it right and show the world how it can be going by building up God's kingdom in the way that it needs to be built up and then going out to the world and saying to them, now this is how you do it, how the right. church is doing it. How we mm-hmm. recognize that. Right. I want to challenge, if I could, Matt, uh, to uh, churches, white churches out there that spends millions of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars on the international mission field, that you would mm-hmm. dissect, bring some of those resources to the inner cities that you mm-hmm. drive past every day, that make sure Jerusalem and Judea and, yeah. and Samaria is taken care, uh, taken care of before you go to the uttermost parts of the earth. And that if you just, if uh, God bless them, Rick Warren can go and change Rwanda uh, through the money that he made through perfect different light. Why can't he change the inner city of L.A. that's just uh, a freeway ride away from him in the same way? Amen, you guys. Wow, this has been a great conversation. I really appreciate both of you brothers in Christ and just honored to be with you on this podcast. Um, 
So again, uh, Lawrence Aker III is lead pastor at Cornerstone Baptist Church in Brooklyn, New York, and George Hurt, pastor of Hurt with two T's, by the way, if you want to look this guy up, in <laughs> case you want to Google him, do some more research on him. <laughs> Hurt with two T's as pastor of Mount Sinai Church of Los Angeles. Uh, guys, it is great to have you on this podcast. Thanks so much. God bless you and your ministry. This is Matt Woodley with Monday Morning Preacher. Hope you join us for the next episode. This episode was brought to you in part by Just These Guys. You know, a pastor and a psychologist team up to break down scripture and psychology, empowering you to transform by the renewing of your mind. Listen today at justtheseguys.podbean.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Just These Guys, you know?